0: Hello! Uh, sorry about the delay. in uh, This actually wasn't my fault this week. It was because a major Amazon Web Services outage is currently impacting the services of Anchor, where I record and uh, up my, upload my podcasts. And uh, apparently they're monitoring the situation, blah, 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 trying to get it all working. Tippity-top again. Yeah, this week I'll talk about a few different things. I'm going to talk about... So I remember... So. I remember uh, just a, a reminiscence, a quick reminiscence to start off the show with to to satiate your appetite, um, wet wet your palate. Uh, first of all, rate and review five star reviews only, four stars maybe. Three, you're pushing it, son. Nice things, right? nice things. Just write the words, nice things. Just those two words in your review, and if you um. Also pre-order a copy of I'll Die After Bingo. A couple of e-copies have been sent out to television people and the feedback has been positively lukewarm. No, it's not. It's been fizzing, mate. Fucking the fizzing. Uh, It's percolating. So, yeah, get on board that train because it's leaving the station and going to one more station. Uh, Just a few stations along maybe. That's probably about as far as it's going to go. Um, I mean, it's certainly not going to be like a six-hour, seven-hour journey. It's going to be a short one. The only reason you go, really, two stations along from your own home is because, I mean, you could walk that, but all the pharmacists in your proximity have stopped serving you. You You think you're a tough guy getting banned from pubs. Wait till you get banned from pharmacies, mate. It's the only reason I take this train. Two stops along. Uh, then I was all going through, uh, you know, uh, uh, withdrawals kicking in and I need to get somewhere pretty quick because I like to walk. I do. I'm a big walker. And, yeah, what was I talking about? I've completely, my bloody brain's left the station. Um. Oh, yeah, so I'll do bingo. I also found out yesterday some good news start off with the braggy stuff I've actually recently had a, a, f- a separation <laughs> with a, a very close friend because uh, I am a, an asshole. Uh, and so I said bragging comes from a place of insecurity if you're you if you're using someone uh, as a, a launch pad not launch pad a, a springboard is that the right for, for your own vanity. And you're constantly seeking affirmation or validation or whatever, um, and listing your, you know, like listing your fucking credentials. <sighs> yeah, if you're bragging, basically, if you become a bragger, it's it kind of is born. It comes from a place of insecurity rather than a. Um, it was, I think this person assumed that by telling me about myself, holding the mirror up to some of my worst traits. It just wasn't going to impact me because my self belief is, is, uh, is ironclad, which is the total opposite of that. And I have got a tendency to brag and I really, this could be a teachable moment and a turning point. I have to stop that behavior because it is alienating. And only do it because so much of um being in the comedy industry is 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 being self made, self-moulded and you know, built building up a uh, uh, building up a um sort of informal curriculum vitae of the different things you've done. There are a list of testimonials from broadsheet newspapers and gigs you regularly play or gigs you have played before and all things that just uh, help to legitimize you as an actor and say, you know, you're the real deal. You're not just a a chancer. And it's that self-promotion is toxic. But if you are going to do it, keep it confined to your professional relationships and not your personal. And that's the problem. And, and and the two as well is like a co mingling um of of those two which i i remember some people said i don't know if i necessarily I agree to an extent. so people said the the, the 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 strict lines between professional conduct and personal conduct are blurred in comedy which you perform in late nights it's as so it's quite a social uh, career in certain ways and so, you won't always treat your colleagues like colleagues. You'll treat them like, you know, like friends or whatever. Um, and people said before that's where inappropriate conduct. But then, what, when we talk about inappropriate conduct, is like there's gradations, there's levels, like nothing is an excuse or or even an explanation for sexual abuse, rape, and that stuff. But when it comes to, you know, sexual harassment or, people, male comedians making female comedians uncomfortable in the green rooms. Uh, I like, I like to think I, I like to think I speak out on that. I have done before. Um, but then I'm sure there'll be plenty of female acts who say, no, not always. No, not at all. There was this example, that example. And, and I've been blind to it, which is, is, is that's the, the biggest problem, isn't it? It's, uh, Women, women have been conditioned to be wary. They've been conditioned to be on high alert for stuff like that, whereas men aren't as attuned to it, and and should be. And this is what's got to change. Um. But yeah, there's a. Uh, um, oh, what was that? Oh shit! Actually, I've lost my faith. Oh yeah, some good news. <laughs> Uh, got an email yesterday from one of one of my colleagues, a really brilliant person. I'm pleased to be getting in touch with the good news that our audio team are really keen to create an audiobook version of *Evolved After Bingo*, uh, which is all now been formalised, finalised. Uh, I know that reaching non-traditional book buyers is important to you, so hopefully you you'll be happy about this. Not all of our books get selected for audio, so it's encouraging that the team are really interested. Would you be interested in narrating the audio book yourself? Yes. This would involve a quick read-through with one of the producers, and once that's gone well, probably two to three days in the recording studio. Won't go into the nuts and bolts of how much I get paid. It's a sweet deal, I'll be honest. Most I've ever been paid for a day's work, I believe. For I mean, over three days. But... Uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, I'm going to be doing that. I sent them some stand-up clips, and I said I have a weird idea. And tell me if it's going to complicate things too much. Um, there's bits in the book where it's dialogue between my mum and I. I said, would they want for no no extra fee? Would they want my mum to come in and do her side of the conversation? Uh, I don't know if it might just be interesting. I like to include my mum in my projects. Like, she's unintentionally funny it's naturally funny she's like a living pantomime dame or something she's very uh very extra uh over the top person um but yeah she's just just a just funny person that's who i talk about when i mean non-traditional readers and that she's she's massively dyslexic and not uh you know didn't go down the collegiate route went straight to work in out uh, 16 and, you know, as intelligence in many different ways, but academic intelligence isn't one of them, but I would like her to still be able to enjoy this book. And I think the best way of doing that would be to provide an audio book. So yeah, I've asked them, I've asked them if they want my, if they want my mum to, uh, to, I mean, when I brought my mum on stage for Pope's addiction clinic, that a lot of fun. And if Pope's Addiction Clinic, I'm pretty sure this episode will be out now. Uh, will be out before Pope's Addiction Clinic. So if it is that is this Thursday and there's only a few tickets left. I think like I think there's like six tickets left. At uh, two North Down in King's Cross. Come along, come along. It will be a really great show like it was a show where you feel like you work through some shit together so feels like oh this is all this is a once in a lifetime experience we we were not going to see this again and uh the next one is happening on the 13th of january i'll i'll double check if tickets are available for that one Uh, and the penguin crew are going to be coming down for that and like a couple more people so that'll be good i haven't actually booked the acts for that yet but i'll get on that um so yeah, quick reminiscence. I've actually played theaters before, believe it or not. Actually, uh, I I emceed a Mind concert, three thousand person theater that I believe was two thirds full. Um, and I emceed this Mind benefit, and I've I've done it a few times. I've done it as well with for uh one of Robin Ince's brilliance nine. Nine Lessons shows, the Christmas shows. Done. No, and it's called Nine Carols, Robin Ince. No, it's called Nine Lessons and Carols for Curious People. That's it. was it, Was it, Robin, if you are listening, I know you do listen to this. Was it, did it used to be for godless people at one point? Or, or was it, was you maybe, maybe, maybe that was like the new, uh, the new, um, oh, what is it called when you don't believe in God? <laughs> atheists. The new atheists was that during the era of the new atheists, and maybe you wanted to, you didn't really want to be aligned with uh, with those. Um, I, I just, I just, I don't, I don't get that. Like, you don't have to believe in God, but to kind of deny. And I'm not, a, I'm not a scientific materialist. I think actually, I was reading really, it was a great bit. There's this book. I love Kafka. As some of you know, Robert Calasso. Wrote a book called K, which is all about, like sort of analyzing Kafka and a big emphasis on the Castle, which I like because that is by far my favourite of Kafka's books. And it says something along the lines of there are some things that our uh, there are some things that our our knowledge is never supposed to to unveil. There's are some things that occur within the the peripheries of our of our conscious understanding, and I, and I think that will always be the case. I don't think they'll will ever totally understand everything, and those uh those gaps in between. Can be filled by 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 spirituality. It can be filled by spirituality. And great, it's a process of deduction. Is it was eventually those gaps. You know, some of them will be filled. You know, like, okay, well that, that, wasn't God. That was that was concrete. <laughs> well, that wasn't God. That was uh, uh rays. That was that was l- 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 rays. Electric rays, like rays. Z- rays. That's what did that wasn't god that was um a that was a a parasite on the brain of a seagull. oh actually speaking of parasites this is all part of it let's talk about flies one sec let me just get it under my big uh, encyclopedia of uh, wwf Double, you double, you double, you you sorry, can you hear ding 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 ding? That's when the ships come in. No, it's not really, it's, it's, it's over there. So I read a great little uh little article about flies. And I know we've talked so we've had a couple of robust thick meaty worm chats on here. Thick meaty worm chat. We've had lots of worm chat in the past, but we've rarely alighted upon a fly. I don't even kill flies. And if you want to read our article, uh, Tim Flannery, Flies Like Us in the uh, New York Review of Books, uh, which I'm a loyal subscriber for 10 years now. Um, And first of all, it, it talked about the film The Fly, and then the 1958 original where, the scientist ends up as a human head on a fly's body. So I did a bit that evening in Brighton. I said, this is my version of the 1958 version of the fly. And then I just put my chin on the stool and then let my head flop sideways and just like screamed in agony, just like looked into the audience with dark glassy eyes and screamed in agony and occasionally, interrupted that scream with a, Z-Z-Z-Z, and that was the body, so that my whole big head <laughs> was attached to this tiny little fly body that wasn't fit for purpose, and how agonising it would be that my life has been reduced to this. You've got to laugh. You got you got to laugh, and it got a laugh. But then some other uh, interesting tidbits. Uh, in uh, gee, I, I need I can't do banging on about flies. I have got to come up with something more. Uh, David Attenborough. There you go. I've mentioned David Attenborough once. That's the only time I'm going to mention him. But this this whole show is going to be banging on about David Attenborough because of this reason. He likes flies. He likes all the animals. Oh, actually, David Attenborough did send. A uh, quite a rude note to my to my friend Jeff Rowe, who is the CEO of the brilliant Leicester Comedy Festival, and just a lovely guy he is. I think in 2012, like, they sent a the thing uh, offering David Attenborough some space in the um, in the uh, the program because he lived in Leicester. And they wrote quite a curt sort of weird reply. So I wasn't aware of the Dave Comedy Awards. Don't even know what comedy is. Um, are there going to be any flies there? If so, then count me in. Uh, the the site date, like Alan and Schwarzenegger actually lived in Portsmouth for a bit. Apparently had a few birds down there. He had a couple of birds down there. And he apparently set up his own gym. He was there only there for like nine months or something. And it apparently is in his autobiography. And they are saying honouring him there, like a plaque or something. And I used to live in Portsmouth for like six years, on and off. And then uh, there's also a big, not big, a little Charles Dickens statue, because I think that Charles Dickens was born in Portsmouth. look Portsmouth, yeah yes the place of his birth oh it's quite a literary city and i studied the english literature and creative writing there so ingenious experiments have shown that flies really do enjoy set actually i'm just going to do the head thing for for the there is a video version of this so that so you say that so However, the 1958 original had uh, the scientist ends up with a human head on a fly's body. This is my version of it. Ah! No oh, fuck! No! Oh! oh my god! Oh my god! How it come to this? Okay, that's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, wicked sense of humor. Hate people. Um, then it says ingenious experiments have shown that flyers really do enjoy sex. In one male fruit fly, in one in one of the experiments, male fruit flies were paired with the female that were receptive to sex, while others would pair with females that rejected sexual advances. Both groups of males were then given access to a solution laced with alcohol. And another lack in it. In remarkably human-like fashion, the sexually frustrated males consumed more alcohol than their sex sexually satisfied compatriots. A second experiment involved uh, male flies that were genetically engineered so that exposure to a red light led to ejaculation. Human ingenuity seems endless. When released into a cage with a red light at one end, the modified males crowded into the red light district. And when the flies used in this uh, experiment had access to alcohol, the sexually satisfied red light district patrons drank less than their counterparts. A healthy sex life has, moreover, been definitively linked to fly health. Male fruit flies that are exposed to female fly pheromones. But lack an opportunity to mate, become stressed and prone to starvation, resulting in early deaths. That is really bloody interesting. And so the, the philosopher Jeffrey Lockwood's paper: Why is it at least a small wrong to harm a fly? And that resonates with me. I, I don't harm anything. There's even a book called Caring About Flies. Oh my god. Resonates with Balcon. Uh, Lockwood's answer is that flies can feel pain. Some laboratory-bred fruit flies are born without anuses. Oh, my God. I was, that, the agony really applies. Ah! Man! Motherfucking anus! Oh, ah! how do I to get poop through the eyes. I mean, uh, I need to squeeze the poop through the eyes. I've got no bum some laboratory bread flies are born without anuses. I was surprised at the empathetic response of a supervising entomologist when shown one such an unfortunate creature. You'll have to kill it. It's an excruciating pain. Balcom, whose earlier books also explored the inner lives of animals, can emphasise with the agony of a fly that is unable to shit. Oh, that'd be a good title for an Edinburgh hour. The agony of the fly is unable to shit. I'm putting that in there. I'm putting that in the uh, in the old book he thinks that flies are rather like us in that their tiny brains seem capable of experiencing states akin to not only pain but sexual frustration joy and perhaps many other feelings and emotions familiar to humans this is why this is why you don't tit about with animals we haven't even begun to excavate. The depths of their psyche isn't someone building a um a computer simulation of like a scuttlefish or something of the electrical currents between every single neuron in their brain so it'll be a completely artificial brain but on on computer not on like Nintendo Switch, but like on some sort of computer that will be able to. Uh, well, is that is that real or is that dead? Like at that point, it's an artificially made brain, but it's so exact, it's such a, a specific replica of the scuttlefish brain, neuron by neuron. That is it. Is it artificial? Has it got the capacity? To think on its own in all other questions about you know uh robotics and what's it called when they say it's the point where, where you cut where you're unable to tell it's called the singularity isn't it the singularity i'll just get into that quickly singularity so technological singularity it's a bit nerdy at the moment i read a lot of uh, i've been reading a lot of chinese sci-fi and uh, and and just sci-fi in general and i like the, the hard science sci-fi where it gets into these concepts I sort of understand when I'm reading them, but I just can't retain the information. It's very annoying. The technological singularity is a hypothetical point in time at which technology technological growth becomes uncontrollable and irreversible, resulting in unforeseeable changes to human civilization. We're already experiencing it in a in a in a in a way uh, where the you know the the iPhone has become a prosthesis. It's become an extension of ourselves, and this is why. I broke my phone three weeks ago. I'm not getting it replaced. Still having to pay the bill every month, which is annoying, but it's oh, it's doing my it's doing wonders for my mental health. It's doing wonders for my mental health. It means I have to draw a lot of these maps, um, which I can show you. Uh was, like okay. Can you see them on the board there? Yeah, for the people who they well I'm pointing at a board full of like lovely coloured maps that I, I draw when I'm going to gigs and um yeah I, I I I couldn't I couldn't condone it anymore. I mean I could condone I, I do condone it. So it's yeah right right a like runaway reaction to intelligent agency within computers. And back onto the subject of sex, um, I'm just gonna read from that book. The about Kafka it is a great book. Uh, you, you, get, I totally get why Lynch, David Lynch, is obsessed with Kafka. Yeah, I imagine David Attenborough would be a bit, little bit surly. I mean, your, your, kind of your attention's been pulled in every direction, isn't it? You know, your, your, uh, your, your, your focus is is divided. You're bound to get a... He looks at people and he's like, oh, yes, these are a wonderful company, great dinner setting, lovely umbrella. But in his mind, he's thinking, you're you're like a little fucking sea monkey to me. That's how small you are to me. That's how insignificant you are. You're like a little fucking sea monkey. I don't even feature them on the show because they're technically not animals. They're just toot. There's little sea toot. A fluff, A fucking fluff. I don't even feature them on my show. Microscopic bits of fucking floating fluff. That's all you are to me. You're a sea monkey. You're a little s- disgusting sea monkey. What were sea monkeys? Were they like pips? I think. They're, like, they're born out of like, pips, aren't eh? they? Sea monkeys. What is that? What is that? Remember, my mum, I borrowed her phone once, um, and her only Google uh, uh, thing was um, entry. The thing she typed into Google was, how is Barbra Streisand? <laughs> like, like they could check in. <laughs> sea monkeys. Ah, they're shrimp. They're brine shrimp. Can you eat brine shrimp? They don't grow big, though, do they? They're like little little dots. Yeah, I mean... I'd rather have, like, a... Um, well, my mum was good with this stuff because she allowed me... I, had this, I loved insects and stuff. I had, like, insect magazines. I was very gentle with them and had this thing that was, like, a microscope but where you capture the animal in a container, and just and just look at it for a bit within the microscope. But I was always told that you have to put it back where you found it, so that its mummy and daddy could uh, didn't didn't worry. You know, you put you don't want to disturb the environment. Like we really try not to um, break spider webs i mean there's one a huge one outside the front of our door like our front door you to the front door the whole like kind of door was covered by a spider web and we took to like ducking under the spider web but then my mum where she has to have injections in her shoulder her shoulders out joint it was causing her too much pain to duck so we had to sort of carve out a little space um and yeah eventually the yeah the spider must have moved on see and then we just broke it open. But I always, yeah, I always think, I always think it, yeah, it's good to, uh, it's just good to, it's just good to treat people like that, animals, blokes, little, animal, little, uh, little uh, sea monkeys. So, yeah, when I, so I was, yeah, I play, had played theatres and in that mind benefit, I felt a bit desperate, like they really didn't take to me. Uh, So I told them each time they don't laugh, I'll break off a piece of my phone to like pressure them into laughing. But the first time they didn't laugh, I trod on my phone and instantly broke it straight off the bat. So I couldn't even go back to that to try and make a joke about the lack of laughter. I smashed my phone and then no one laughed at anything I said for the rest of the evening. (laughs) What kind of nutter thinks he can break off bits of phone? You fucking idiot. Also, were uh, once asked a pier in Camden, market. my mate, best mate Louis, used to always go to Camden Town when we were fat little uh, punks, uh, fat little punks and skinheads. Uh, he always used to go to Camden for his birthday. It's always really stressful with his single mum having um, panic attacks all over the shop. Oh, yeah! I, I, I'm recording saying, right. Stupid bitch. <laughs> like swearing at policemen behind your hand stupid fucking bitch what was that oh i think i said i've got an itch um and yeah because his mum was like my second mum. um she had have panic attacks all the time i mean once me and michael were in her car she was driving we we're going to pick them up she's very nervous driver. we were young kids like michael was like 15 and i was about 13 and uh She took a wrong turn (laughs) off the road on a motorway and ended up there was like a direct road to motorway to London and she like had a panic attack. She'd like never driven further than like five minutes down the road and just took her hands off the wheel and went like, no, 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 I can't do it. We're all going to have to die in a fiery inferno. I can't do it. Like me and Mike went to talk her down and like had to to take over as responsible adults terrifying i mean that makes the sound really uh that makes it sound really irresponsible which she was in some ways but she was a wonderful uh, mum and loved her kids dearly and uh just very like they just had a a real kind of hand-to-mouth like existence for a while Like it was real like penury counting pennies um like a different level of uh of of like poverty class, kind of thing. Um, which I'm glad they're not living that life anymore. You know, they're, they're, they're still, I mean, they're still, they're, they're kind of, uh, they're weird. Like, they'll get when his nan ended up, when his nan became older and was quite ill and had to look after her, she ended up selling her house and they all moved into this house in the seafront, like right right off the seafront at South End. Was beautiful. Um, beautiful uh, destination. It's great. You just you go out, go out your door, looked right, there's the sea. And even though know, it's like the biggest house they've ever had, they've always lived in bungalows or caravans. They lived in a caravan in their nanny Shirley's garden for a little while. For quite I know for quite a while, like a few years, um, they all still they all still just made use of like one room. Like everything was still squeezed into a tiny little corner. While the rest of the house was unoccupied and empty, had all these empty rooms. They are always uh, like little Sylvanian family, and <laughs> they always squished themselves into little tight into nooks. So they never really need a big house because they're um, Tracy's, and isn't, she's not use, used to it. She doesn't know how to utilize the space, and she doesn't want the the maintenance of of having to to keep that kind of house uh, tidy. so we went to used to go to Camden market and um i didn't have piercings or anything louis had loads and i asked the piercer to pierce my copy of the uh the metro newspaper <laughs> because i thought it'd be weird and funny but he told me to stop wasting his time and really shouted it Ooh, that was unnecessary i that was the thing with uh I, the love of animals I've got from my mum and dad, but I've I've got from Tracy as well. Like she was obsessive or don't I think she loved animals as well as she loved people. That's Louise's mum and my second mum basically. I loved it. Um but yeah, so they they'd be in a weird situation where they'd take in every way from stray, including human other human beings. And you know, at one point like they didn't have enough to get fucking bread or whatever, but they had like 30 animals on the go. Uh and in which they eventually you know, they, they got to a point where they realised they can't care adequately she thought she was doing the right thing for bringing them in but um you know, i didn't, didn't think about it like rationally i <laughs> realized yeah you can't um you can't give these animals the life they need But heart was in the right place now the amount of times we've we've had to cancel our plans to save a wounded pigeon or seagull. Uh, and we have to drive to Orse is it Orson or somewhere? There's a Orson Essex. What's it called this? Orsex. That's it. Orsex. Horse has Orset All orse sit over there, love. Fling your fling your fucking all stick. All <laughs> sit all sit up, my canny. Oh no, sorry, that's disgusting. Cunny. Oh all sit up, my cunny. It's quite funny. In, or a set. Uh it says like a hedgehog and seagull sanctuary or something. And I'll do it now. I've like I always get way having to like save something for see something injured or in harm's way. Worms and snails. And I've still this is a hangover from my youth, A uh, sort of residual nervous tick i suppose i got a few of them is whenever i see something dead or if i accidentally like tread the snail and then i have to kill it which i hate having to do um so I don't wait to suffer i will cross myself because i and then kiss the tips of my fingers and show them up to heaven so i think uh if i don't do that there the animal will be suspended in purgatory indefinitely until someone is guy kind of giving it its last rites crossing themselves off and that allows the dead animal entry or the animal soul entry into into heaven i've always done it i don't know where i've got it from my nan was was like bible bashing religious uh after being a uh, bitch is born again the one the zealot lot one of the, hey, uh, everything's fine, said through gritted teeth lot, uh, which you find a lot in the the born again community, those who come to it late. But you get your spiritual nourishment from it. I get spiritual nourishment, but it's not it's not done in a... There's, there's, there's an intensity of feeling to it. But it's not intense practice and it's private, it's private to me. I wouldn't, I'm not a proselytizer, I don't do not proselytize. So, yeah, I'll end off. We've we got on the subject of fly sex. Um, I'll read this people people don't give Kafka because it's it's it's, it's because it's so weird and jarring and alienating and the. Uh, the, the 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 subtext, the, psych- the psychological subtext of the characters is always smothered by mist. It's it's hard, but when you just submit yourself to the vicissitudes of uh, of a Kafka of a Kafka novel like of the David Lynch film where you stop trying to, I mean, it, it, part of it, the fun of it is like trying to get to the root of, it feels like there's like a unifying theory of the film or of every David Lynch film or of every Kafka book. And you're trying to put the puzzle together and work out what that is, um, which is part of the fun. Like you want to do that, that detective work as well. But um it's just taking it on face value is good as kind of letting just, yeah, allow, allow, of trying to think rationally about it, allow yourself to, to, to just go with how it makes you feel. And like David Lynch, I think he, I think he has faith in his own unconscious directing his art. So whatever, so whoever comes to the surface and speaks to him and imposes on him to, you know, to feature that the chocolate bunny or whatever feet you must feature like something he kept returning to in his head, the chocolate bunny like motif or whatever. And so he thought, I'll, I'll put that in. People like, Well, what does that mean? And he's like, You know, he'll say something quite uh cryptic, he'll say something sort of uh, esoteric, is it That's like cryptic and esoteric and. I know both Kafka and Lynch had a, uh, a fascination with Eastern philosophy. I, I love all that kind of stuff. The same way I love um, Kabbalistic texts and mysticism and stuff like that. But one thing that Kafka isn't always given credit for is, is being a you know a brilliant sens- sensualist, sensualist, and I remember. Women are usually, uh, as a uh, as a rule, are usually better at writing about sex than men are. Because uh, for men, it's it's quite um, a sort of rutting, grunting, primordial act, base act, almost uh, mechanical. Whereas for 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 women, uh, it might it's it, it's maybe more cerebral. Again, this is sweeping generalization it might be wrong but um at the bad sex award i'll try and see if i can find some examples of bad sex so they have the bad sex award usually run by by men uh, but usually won by men um And I'll see if we can find any example uh, examples. Oh, let so the long-listed passages for bad sex awards. This is if you so updike. Updike is is kind of the king of bad of bad sex. Um a flock of crows, six or eight, raucously rasping at one another, thrashed into the top of an oak tree on the edge of a square of sky. The heavenly invasion made his heart race. He looked down at his prick. First of all, prick, not a very erotic term. I, I don't like it when people use euphemism. I hate euphemism. Uh, euphemistic language is feels like in in infantile language. Like, well, I can't talk about it directly, so I'm going to, have to talk around it. His, his, it stood a stood a stood with pride, a you know the ballast of his, whatever, silently begging it not to be distracted. His mind thought skidding into the crows in the woods, babies and Phyllis, and his prick stared at him, with its one eye clouded by a single pure drop of a, a drop of pure seminal yearning, Ugh, seminal yearning. It's like a scientific, isn't it? Sort of sterile scientific language with, with sensual language. Yearning is sensual. Yearning is erotic, seminal, like seminal fluid. Um, he felt suspended at the top of an arc, they leaned back on the blanket, arrayed your legs in an M, an M of receptivity, and he knelt between them like the most adject and craven supplicant who ever exposed his bare ass the e-guys of the bunch of crows. Faye took him in hand, took him in hand. That's a weirdly that's a really formal, polite expression for, well, talking about sex. He slipped in, slipped in. He became an adulterer. He went for the last inch. She grunted at her own revelation. His was that her cunt did not feel like Phyllis's. Smoother, somehow simpler. It's wetness, less thick, less of a source, more of a glaze it was soon over he could not help himself he was excited proud nervous but yeah i you, you can see how oh, it's bad and someone um gave an example of a good sex right i think it was a woman uh and about the, the, the there was there was a, a woman gently fingering the hole in her tights which is anticipatory isn't it and that that's a sort of yearning that 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 build up to sex rather than the actual act of like two jutting squadging bodies <laughs> good, good sex writing good sex writing um 50 I know there's this scene. Unfortunately, it's in a you know the, the, in the book La Lita about he says it's it's not it's it's more romantic. He says kissing uh, the sea grapes of her lungs, turning her lungs inside out, like wanting to, it, wanting to almost cannibalize the, the figure of his desire, which unfortunately is uh, a, a girl. Um, a girl so here's an example of a good sex writing, this is bad behaviour by Mary Gateskill last time I made a typing error and a lawyer summoned me to his office two unusual things occurred the first was that after he finished spanking me he told me to pull up my skirt fear hooked my stomach and pulled it towards my chest I turned my head and tried to look at him not worried that I'm going to rape you are you? he said don't i'm not interested in that not in the least pull up your skirt i turned my head away from him i thought i don't have to do this i can stop right now i can straighten up and walk out but i didn't i pulled up my skirt pull down your pantyhose and underwear a finger of nausea poked my stomach i told you i'm not going to fuck you do what i say the skin of my face and throat was hot but my fingertips were cold on my legs i actually felt comfortable. uh as I pulled down my underwear panty, had the letter before me and distorted beyond recognition. Thought I might faint or vomit, but I didn't. I was held up by feeling or dizzy in suspension. So yeah, suspension, anticipation. Like the one I have in dreams where I can fly, but only if I get some weird, into some weird position. At first, he didn't seem to be doing anything. Then I became aware of a small frenzy of expended energy behind him. Had an impression of a vicious little animal frantically burrowing dirt with its tiny claws and teeth. My hips were sprayed with hot, sticky muck. Go clean yourself off, he said, and do that letter again. Oh, so this must be the book that the secretary's based on. Maybe. I stood slowly and felt my skin fall over the sticky gunk. He briskly swung open the door and I left the room, and not even pulling up my pantyhose and underwear. Since I was going to use the bathroom anyway, he closed the door behind me, and the second unusual thing occurred. Susan, the, imagine my my voice is so ill suited to um, is so ill suited to, uh, to to to, to uh, narrating sex books. But he's a yeah. So here's a, but 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 Kafka is um, he's not always given the credit for that. And here's a, a scene that I thought was I mean it. it I mean, things happened within me while reading this. Um, Lenny is sober, blunt, precise. We can't rule out... uh, We can't rule out the possibility that she alone knows how to escape the call. She hints at a decisive intervention, that mysterious, this is a bit of just analysis of the text, a mysterious undercurrents between bouts of frivolity and flirtation. They include the game in which she reveals a physical defect, the webbing between the middle and ring fingers of her right hand. Well, what a, what a pretty claw, Joseph K. says, quickly placing a gallant kiss on that prank of nature. It's not, It's. it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of nice, to kiss what someone assumes is a defect or is off-putting, it, it's it's just a, your way of saying it's it's not. Um, I'll snog your web. I'll fucking snog. I'll snog your little web. We could use it as a wallet. <laughs> keep keep my change in there. <laughs> so you close the two fingers together that's like the top of the purse and the web is like the pouch for your your money Then when you need uh some change you just okay, get your little get your little claw out <laughs> you open up the top of her two fingers and dig into the web for your change um you don't say that after you've kissed it don't make that observation it's the first kiss between them and in that moment a pact is sealed between Joseph Kay and a nature that hasn't yet entirely emerged from the waters. It's then that Lenny takes his hand in her hands and kisses and bites his neck um, in her hands and kisses and bites his neck and even his hair. I love that bit where it's uh, such a uh, urgent, frantic sexuality that you, you do weird things to the other person's body like bite their hair. Uh the same thing when I've been asked I've actually put this in the book when I got asked by someone to do subdom sex chat which at that time was new to me I didn't really know what the the the, the tone of I was I was I didn't I hadn't had any practice um so I just sent the text saying uh I I, I want to swallow your boobs. <laughs> Just got a text saying, Yeah, maybe this isn't for you. Um, so, yeah, so that's what I like bites of hair. Meanwhile, hurriedly, mouth open, she climbs hurriedly. She climbs with her knees onto his belly, giving off, as she does, an exciting, bitter, peppery odour. Odour. Then the two tangled, I mean, smell is an important part, isn't it? And it isn't always nice smelling. It just smells earthy and raw. But I mean, bodies stink. I don't know why we're, we're being positive about bodies. They don't fucking reek, uh, which can be good during sex. It's not reek as in like you don't want to smell like that. someone shat themselves or anything, but, you know, a bit of sweat and stuff. Then the two tangled bodies slide onto the carpet, a primordial swamp glazed with moonlight. Here I make my keys come wherever, wherever, you, whenever you like. Are Lenny's last words punctuated by stray kiss who pure erotic intensity? libertine literature offers little to rival this scene steeped in that peppery odor. But if I thought peppery, there's a, that's a weird way of describing it. But I thought is it that kind of like you know when someone gets a slightly bo kind of uh, curry smell when they're, they're sweating too much? And that that that's what he means by peppery, and that during sex. Is a um, it's a good smell. It's a good smell. It's uh, you know you, you all the things in sex, the things that you'd find a little bit off putting and disgusting. You you know they 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 they, they turn you on in sex it's like spitting. <laughs> Not to be too graphic about it. Uh, all done with um, with what do they call it rolling consent, of course but uh and yeah like her the fact that she climbs with her knees onto his belly and it's it's like a it's a weird it's a weird sort of gesture isn't it it's like because it's like when you start doing things that aren't like you start bending each other into shapes that aren't or, or doing things to your body that aren't really rational because you're so um Consumed by 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 sexual desire, and you kind of want to. I said like you want to rinse them out into a pint glass and drink it. That's what I've how I've described it for that sexual desire. Or squeeze all their. Sort of, I like curves, like big boobs, big bum, and stuff. Squeeze it all together and rinse it out into a pint glass and consume them. Yeah, weird. Uh, I don't really talk about it much. My Michael said he once thought of me as who's as quite. He's asexual, and I said oh, I think I went through stages of having um, very, very kind of uh, fraught, fraught set. Well, I, I felt very pressured into to having sex, and I and my sexual desire kind of switched off because I was a drug, you know, I was using drugs at the time. Unfortunately, it dampens your libido. And uh, yeah, I won't, won't going too much into it, but that, that that gave me sort of um, uh, uh I, I, yeah, I had I I had I had um, a kind of unhealthy relationship with sex, and it went just in just that that I wasn't very libidinous for a long time because the opiates had destroyed my libido, and and but then I was, you know, I was still in a relationship where we were sexually active, but. I, I didn't want to be in it. It was nothing to do with the person. It was it was just because of where I was with my drug drug abuse and stuff. Anyway, um, yeah, it's been a longer one. I hope I, this one I've I've yeah, I feel I feel like I've actually really enjoyed it and like just chatting with you a lot this week. Um so I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. So thank you. Love to you all. I'll die after bingo and Pope's Addiction Clinic tomorrow thursday but if this is up later disregard that all right love you all bye